Good morning. Morning. We'd love to welcome those who are worshiping in the chapel this morning, those who are out at Pleasant View worshiping, those who have been watching online. We're so glad that you guys have joined us today and uh, hope you are ready to allow your heart to be stirred this morning. We've been talking about in this series those moments where we feel the heat in our lives, right? And so this morning, uh, we're going to dive into a story actually in Mark chapter 5. Uh, but before that we do that, let's just bow our heads and invite the Spirit to continue to be with us this morning. Can we do that? Lord, I thank you so much for the gift it is to be in this place together, God, to be a part of this movement, this mission called Alive. And Lord, I pray that today, Lord, for those who are feeling the heat of life kind of pressing down on them, God, that you would help them to, be able to walk away feeling confident, God, that you are still here. And anticipating that you're about to do something real. You're about to do something big. And God, we believe that. We believe that you're a God of miracles. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So, this morning, I thought I would start out with a story uh, that actually is about some heat that I felt recently. All right? But before I dive into this story, I need to give you a little bit of a music lesson. All right? Now, I don't want to assume that you guys are ignorant, but I also don't want to assume that you know very much about the guitar. All right? So I'm going to uh, give a little bit of a basic lesson here before we dive in. You ready? So this is called a capo. All right? So everyone in the room who knows what a capo is, raise your hand. All right. I think we're about 50-50. Great. So listen. This is a capo, and what this does is this is a strategic way um, to change keys on the acoustic guitar without changing what chords you're playing, all right? It is a cheat. So for those of us who aren't true guitarists, all right, this is a way to make life easier, all right? So now that you've got all this in mind, let me tell you this story. A couple weeks ago, Heather and I were part of a team that was leading worship at a camp up in North Carolina. And uh, it's at a camp called Victory Mountain Camp, and it was Wednesday night, all right? It's like the, kind of like the uh, climax of the week for them. You know, the, the energy's high. We were with youth, um, middle schoolers, so the energy was just, you know, huge. Wednesday night, they invite all their family and all their friends, their youth groups to come out. So it's, the place is packed, all right? And uh, the, the speaker decides that he wants to do things a little bit different that night. So uh, he wanted to start kind of with a short set, and then he was going to speak, get everybody fired up. And then he was going to, uh, to invite us back up to do a longer set at the end. And he wanted everything kind of upbeat and exciting. So, and that's my kind of worship. I, I love to bounce around and just celebrate what God's doing in our hearts and lives. So we get up there after the message. He has got the room pumped up. All right, The Spirit of God is real. The, the team's ready. You know, It's one of those moments where the table is set. And we want these students to experience the presence of God in a whole new way. All right, and We've sung two of our songs. And, you know, it's one of those moments where you just, you remember, this, is, this was a special moment. And we get to the third song. And on the third song, and the last song, this was like a kind of a song that they had really embraced as like the theme song for the week. Alright? And my responsibility was to start this song all by myself. Alright? Me and the guitar. So, I, uh, so the second song ended... The lights go black, all right? And we were outside, and it was late. It was like 9.30, 9.45, and so it was late. And uh, I know some of you have been in bed for like an hour and a half already by then. We were still worshiping with middle schoolers, all right? But uh, so I step up to the mic. I had, while the lights were down, I had changed my capo because I knew I had to switch keys. I step up to the mic and start kind of grooving through the first verse. Is that still a cool word, groove? I don't know. And uh, so, so I was grooving through the first verse, which was just me and just my voice and the guitar. And an electric guitar plays their first note. And it literally sounded like death. <laughs> and I knew immediately 
what had happened. All right? In that short, like, 15, 10 to 15 seconds of pitch black where the lights had gone out, I had switched my capo to a different fret, and I had switched it in the dark to the wrong fret. So when I started this song, little did I know that I was singing in the complete wrong key. All right? So for those of you who are musically illiterate, that is bad, all right? That is very bad. And so that electric guitar came in, and I knew in that instant what I had done. I looked down, and sure enough, I was on fret four instead of five. And uh, really, you know, I had like a, a, a plethora of ideas. What am I going to do? What am I going to do to make this right? This is going to be bizarre. The band behind me, I can sense a lot of eyes, you know, like in my back kind of thing. And, uh, and I knew right then and there I had no choice except to just stop and start over. And I really felt the heat, you know? In that moment, I stepped, I, I stepped back, and honestly, I was so, like, shocked that I had done that, and there were, like, 600 people in front of me, and it was so embarrassing that I just, I literally stepped back up to the mic, and I said, the moral of this story is to never put a capo on in the dark. I'm so sorry. We're going to start this thing over. And we did. We just started over, and I tried to just own it and move on. And thankfully, everyone was gracious, and it was a good, we ended the night strong, and it was a great time. But let me tell you, in that moment, I was feeling the heat. And uh, no one wants to be humiliated in front of five to 600 people. And let me tell you, I felt that. And uh, I felt myself in, in kind of what I would call this this moment of uh, ego-crushing mess. You know what I mean? It was like nobody wants to feel that. But what I noticed was when I was kind of like in the heat of that moment, it, it really brought to light kind of some of my greatest fears. You know what I mean? It kind of brought to light uh, kind of some of the, dark, the darker things in me. And uh, for, the, for that night, it was like this literal darkness that kind of put me in this mess. But it did teach me a valuable lesson. And it did remind me uh, how surprising and how painful uh, those moments of heat can kind of creep into our lives. So I guarantee that every one of us, we could pass a microphone around this room. And that probably we could hear story after story of, of, of you guys and how you're going through different seasons of heat. And even how you went kind of like we did from like this mountaintop experience to all of a sudden this moment of sheer disaster. All right? And so maybe in some of your lives, maybe it's like, it's like something like a long-awaited child that you found out at birth that they were terminally ill. Or maybe, uh, maybe you finally, finally graduated with a, master's degree, a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or even a doctorate degree. And you spend a year or five years looking for a job, a fitting job, but to no success. It wouldn't take any of us long to kind of fill in those blanks, right? But the heat you're feeling today is not forever, all right? And my goal this morning is to help every one of us understand in the room that that's really not the end of our stories, all right? Our stories aren't going to end there. And in fact, what I want you to do is this. I want to challenge you to hang on just a little bit longer, okay? I want to challenge you just to hang on a little bit longer. Don't give up. And, and the heat that you are in the middle of, God is going to use for good, I can promise you that. There's a, there's a man in the Bible named King David. Some of you are familiar with him, some maybe not, but... He was well acquainted with filling the heat, all right? It was like he couldn't go a day hardly without being in a, in a pot of hot water. And, uh, but eventually, David discovered a life-changing truth. And we can read it in this, uh, in this verse in Psalm 37, verse 7. I want you to read this. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Wait patiently for Him to act. Now, if you're like me, 
when you hear the word wait, you literally like, about well, come out of your seat, right? I hate waiting. Ask anyone that works with us. I hate waiting on anything. I hate waiting on my food at a restaurant. I hate waiting for people to get their job done. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. I just hate waiting, all right? I'm one of those people that will change lanes at Ingles like 10 times just to save 30 seconds checking out. You know what I mean? Like, I do not like waiting, all right? But we've all been there. We've all been there in that moment where things seem to be going great, and then all of a sudden, we find ourselves staring at like our worst nightmare, right? It's like staring us right in the face, like starting a song in the wrong key in front of five or 600 people. And maybe like me, you realize that things are messed up. Maybe that you messed something up. And there's this really bizarre story in the book of Mark, chapter 5, where Jesus has one of those moments, all right? Even Jesus. He's just finished up the Sermon on the Mount, the the greatest sermon of all time, the greatest message of all time. He seems to kind of be at the pinnacle of his ministry game. And then Jesus encounters this really, really messed up situation. He's just finished speaking to this large crowd, sharing some of the most profound teachings of all time. And then this happens. He gets in a boat, he goes to the other side of the lake in an effort to get some rest. And as they move towards the shore, they come upon this like zombie apocalypse meets nude beach kind of scene. Okay, something that, that we can all kind of imagine, right? I mean, listen to, this, uh, listen to this description, okay? And imagine what Jesus and these guys must have felt in this moment. It says in Mark chapter 5, So they arrived at the other side of the lake. In the region of the Gerasenes, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. Now, in the book of Luke, it says that he was naked, all right? This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. So whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. What a scene, right? I mean, how bizarre. What, a, what an odd thing. So, so I try to think about this, and, uh, you know, I think, okay, here we are in our pontoon boat at Lake Hartwell, okay, right? And we're, we're on the water, and uh, we're, we're about to dock on the shore, and we pulled up to a scene like this. And most likely, you're going to be just like me, and you're going to kind of turn that party barge around, right? You're going to call the Coast Guard or do something and be like, this is not a place for us. I mean, no one sees a zombie, like, jacked up in his birthday suit and thinks that they should wander on shore and try to, like, greet this guy, right? That's not normal, all right? But Jesus, being fully human in that moment and experiencing all the same feelings that we would have experienced, probably being freaked out, all right? He doesn't turn and jump back in the boat. He doesn't. In Mark chapter 5, verse 6, we pick up here. It says, When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed down low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. I think it's sort of ironic that Jesus didn't first ask in this moment. He didn't say, where are your clothes? He didn't say, why are you screaming? 
He didn't ask any of those things, right? No, in this moment, Jesus goes to like this real issue, okay? Je- Jesus doesn't worry about the symptoms. He goes straight to the heart of the matter. And, and I love that his primary concern is caring for this man's immediate need. And for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we're supposed to model the life of Christ, right? So before I move on, I feel like I need to ask this question, all right? How are we responding to the naked zombies in our lives? Now, how many times have you had to answer that question, huh? Probably the only time it's going to be on this platform, but. So Jesus, he immediately drives out these demons, okay? And he sends them into this herd of pigs. And here's where the story gets even weirder, if we thought it could. All right? There's all these pigs hanging out on the hillside. The Bible says there's nearly 2,000. So that's a lot of pigs. It's a lot of bacon. And apparently... The demons, all right, were so unruly and were so wreaking so much havoc inside these pigs that they literally sent every pig just barreling down this edge in plunging to their death in a lake, all right? So we're talking mass swine suicide right here. Now, I know exactly what you're thinking, all right? Because it's probably very much like I felt in this moment. I thought to myself, someone like Jesus, all right? Someone who was perfect in every way. There's no way that he could have wasted all that bacon, right? Now, listen, I don't know, all right, whether Jesus was able to have a BLT that night or what. But I do know this, is that the same, the same demons that drove 2,000 pigs to their death were all pent up in one human being. In one human being. And my question is, how did this man survive that? And I can only imagine that he was really just barely hanging on. I mean, he had to have been fighting those demons every moment with everything he had to keep him from that same fate. And this is where many of us, I think, can associate with this demon-possessed man. Not in relation to being demon-possessed, but with this in fighting with everything we have to simply survive. Fighting with everything we have just to keep ourselves from going off the deep end. And you see, the thing we often forget about this demon-possessed man was that he had a story, just like us. He had some kind of story. And uh, he probably had lived in some nearby town. He probably had a family. He probably had a house. He, he may have even had a white picket fence, all right? And life, my guess is that life at some point had been going normally for this guy. He may have hit his stride in life and was doing well. And then out of nowhere, he gets hit with this thing. It just happens. And out of nowhere, he's experiencing this incredible nightmare. Being consumed and controlled by this army of demons who are now driving him to this crazy place. As they've taken up residence inside of him. And he's created all kinds of destruction that you can read about in the passage. But somehow, unlike those pigs, he was able to refrain from that fate. He was able to fight it. He lived. And if you're like me, when you read this passage, you realize how hard the man must have been fighting to stay alive. I mean, nobody's going to argue he's not crazy. All right? he's, he was crazy, but he was still alive. And it seemed to me, like when I think about that, that he must have been waiting. He must have felt 
he, he had this sense of anticipation. He felt that something at some point in time was going to break. There was going to be this significant moment in his life when something changed. And somewhere in that demon-riddled body, there seemed to be a piece of him that believed. Even in this season of intense heat, that he still had something to hang on to. That he still had something to hang on to. And for those of us who have been here for the last couple of weeks in this series, we've been listening to this story uh, from Paige Rouse about losing her mother to cancer. And in it, she mentions this powerful, powerful testimony to anticipation and to hope of something that her mother gave her. I want you to watch this. When my mom knew that she was passing away, she wrote my brother and I three letters each, and um, they were typed on a computer. And so my dad printed them out and had them in safekeeping. And just a couple, I think it was maybe about a year ago, I was in a really, really low place. Actually, maybe it was two years ago. I was in a really low place. I just really wanted her words, um, and I don't think we truly realize, I think, well, let me just reiterate that we never truly know what we have until it's gone, and uh, just her voice and her words are gold to me, they're beyond gold, and so I read that, I read that note, the first one, I had my dad give it to me, and of course I was sobbing, but it filled me up to my, like to the brim. Just knowing she told me how much she loved me, how proud of me she was. Um, and it was relevant in that time when she wrote it, and it was relevant at the time I read it, which blew my mind. But the other two letters, um, I am contemplating about opening one on graduation day um, because I know that was my mom's one wish um, before she passed away was to get to see me graduate, and that was heartbreaking. Um, but the other two, I would really love to save for the day I get married and the day I have my first baby um, because those are the days that in my heart I want her the most. Isn't it amazing how powerful anticipation can be? You know? It, it's, it's really unbelievable. And, and by the way, just to piggyback on that, Paige did uh, open one of those letters at graduation. And it was just what she needed. Uh, it was amazing. And so uh, I wanted to share that. And as odd as this may sound, this bizarre story in Mark actually gives me some source and sense of hope. And I feel like I need to explain because it's such a strange story. And I pray that none of us ever have or ever will be overtaken by demons. And and I thank God that I haven't had to deal with that. So I'm not speaking from experience here. But I can imagine that if anyone felt like it was time to throw in the towel because they were tired of feeling the heat of life, it was probably this guy who was fully consumed by 2,000 demons. Can we agree on that? And so this was a man who is described as a, in the Bible who was in constant torment. And he wandered these tombs because everyone was afraid of him. And the only solution they could think to do with him was to chain him up. And even that didn't work. So this animal-like man crawled around the graveyard howling and cutting himself. And I hate to say this, but if this was one of you, and I saw you behaving like this, honestly, I would probably give up on you. But this man... 
apparently was fighting. For some reason, he had something inside of him that gave him the desire to keep fighting. And in spite of all the darkness that, that was attempting to overpower him, as soon as Jesus stepped foot on that shore, he had this sensation that he knew that this moment, that this moment that he'd been waiting for, this was the moment that he'd been waiting for, and it was about to change the trajectory of the rest of his life. And without doubt, for the people who are listening to me this morning, some of you need a reminder that the kind of mess that you're currently in, there is hope that you can make it through it. And there's hope that you will survive and even thrive afterwards. And that hope's name is Jesus. But unfortunately, and sadly, some of us will miss it. Some of us will miss that hope. And in this story, some of them missed it. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. Now, does this make sense? Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away. Again, does this make sense? And leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. If you're you're like me, this, this confuses you. You're like, wait, wasn't this a win? I mean, I understand no one wants to lose a flock of, or herd, what is it, flock, herd, pride, I don't know, of pigs, all right? But Jesus just transformed someone's life. Jesus just took and tamed this monster and, and that was possibly terrorizing the community. Jesus moved someone from this season of heat to this season of rest, and no one's even celebrating. It's, it's like, I mean, this was an, it's not like this wasn't an intangible result, okay? It's, the Bible says that he was previously naked and Hulk-like, and now he's sitting peacefully and fully clothed. And the people are what? Afraid. Not even just ungrateful about the pigs, but literally afraid. And when I think about this, really the only thing that makes sense to me is that these people had lost their sense of expectation. Their sense of hope, and instead of expecting something to change, they now feared change. Even good change. And respectfully, if we're fully honest with ourselves, many of us could probably say we're in that same place. We felt the heat of our situation for so long that we lost the hope of anything ever changing. And if Jesus were literally to come in this place, look you right in the eye and rock your world, you would still probably find yourself either scared or ungrateful at best. And I've seen this in my own life over and over again. In those moments when I'm asking God to give, give relief in a certain part of my life or intercede for someone else, and then I'm caught off guard when Jesus shows up. Does that make sense? My sense of hope, my sense of anticipation is missing. And as a result of being surprised that God moves on my behalf, I then miss the opportunity to receive it, to celebrate it, and to give gratitude for what He's done. And even we could add, give testimony for what He's done. It just doesn't make sense. Except now I realize exactly where those people's response comes from. Because oftentimes, that's me. I mean, who would have thought 
that at the beginning of this demon-possessed man's story, that I would now say, at this point in the man's journey, I honestly wish I was more like him. I see a man who experienced the grace and the love and the change that Jesus can do in his life, and immediately, as a result, he wanted to be part of that movement. So look at this. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he's been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Now many of us might get a little hung up on Jesus' kind of seemingly curt response, right? Uh, It was a gracious request from this man to to go with Jesus. and, And Jesus says, no, you know. Go home. But what I get most excited about is that Jesus' response to him doesn't phase him one bit. It doesn't stop him one bit. Jesus gives him this directive to go home and tell his family what happens, but that guy goes way beyond that. He doesn't just do that. He can't, he can't be shut up. The Bible says that he headed off to start proclaiming what Jesus did in ten different towns. Now, if you want to take this story a little bit further and kind of imagine a little bit further with me, how much faster and how much further could the gospel have been taken than just those ten towns if if that crowd had taken the same attitude as that man? Now, I know what you're thinking, all right? This guy has experienced some kind of absolutely miraculous transformation in, in this healing with Jesus. So, of course, he won't shut up. But I feel really strongly about this, all right? The issue is not how big that moment seemed to be. The issue is not how big that miracle was for that demon-possessed man. Rather, it's how small and insignificant we label the miracles that we experience in our lives every single day. And when we think about, in, in our own lives, we think about how amazing it is that God met some financial need this week. All right, that seemed impossible. Amazing, maybe how amazing it was that, that one of our brothers or neighbors or friends got a cancer-free declaration from the doctor. How significant it is when a prodigal child ends up uh, starting to want to rebuild bridges and, and begin the journey of reconciliation. One miracle isn't more miraculous than another. They're all miracles. All right? They're all God at work. But what really matters is our anticipation of them and our response to them. You see, the demon-possessed man had this actual, personal, face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And honestly, probably none of us are going to experience that. But, I can assure you that if you are feeling the heat in your life right now, or if you are feeling squeezed by everything that's happening around you, Jesus desires to connect with you. He desperately desires to move you from this place of pain to this place of peace, from this place of hurt to a place of healing. And just like this man in the story, we have to first move towards him. But this requires anticipation. This requires belief. This requires hope. And this requires action. And so we have to ask, what is our part? What's our part? What kind of action am I supposed to take? And for a lot of us, we're thinking in our minds, but wait, I've literally tried everything to move out of this place of of heat. I've literally tried everything. I've, I've changed. I've gotten help. I've prayed. 
And so I have to take us back to this verse that we started with in the very beginning. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Come back to that word, wait. Isn't that doing nothing? Right? That's what it feels like when I'm waiting. But wait is actually a verb. And it signifies action. And even the definition is to look forward to eagerly and to be in a state of readiness. So I have to ask, am I ready and anticipating a movement of God that can change my heart, that can change your heart, that can, that can change my circumstances, that can change your circumstances, and more importantly, transform an entire community? Because that's what this miracle in Mark chapter 5 did. And that is not only my heartbeat, but that is the heartbeat and the calling and the mission of Alive, to see an entire community transformed. So as we wrap up this series called The Heat, I wanted to share this moment where, in my own life, I had sensed kind of that, the pressure of life. And one of those moments where, where I felt like, man, where is God in the middle of this? It was about five or, five or so years ago, and uh, <clears throat> Heather and I had just found out that we were pregnant with our first child, Jackson. And so this was all really scary. And for those of you who have kind of been through this journey, this is, this is a weird journey, okay? Pregnancy is weird. You have this, this thing that happens in a woman's body, and it's all odd and strange, and you don't know how to describe it. You know, you, but, but you can kind of see it, okay? You can see it in, in kind of the woman's body. You see her, you know, her belly kind of growing a little bit, turning into this little basketball. And you see her kind of turning this walk into like a waddle, whatever they do. That was a terrible imitation. I'm not going to try that again. Um, <clears throat> but what you can't see is that there's this like little alien creature growing inside this little sack of fluid that's always ever-growing, and it's got everything that, that this child needs inside of it. And it is the most complex, precise process of anything that happens on this planet, okay? But the problem is, is that not every time does it work perfectly. And so... We were, at, uh, we were at this point in, uh, in the pregnancy where, you know, you go in and you get an ultrasound, right? To make sure the baby's doing okay and, and to get everything checked on, they tell you, you know, maybe the gender, maybe how big, how small. I don't know, all the things that they tell you. And, and so we go in and we, and, we, uh, and we get an ultrasound, okay? Isn't that one beautiful baby? Yeah? How about that? I want you guys to know because I feel like I need to confess that's not our child. <clears throat> Actually, I don't know whose kid that is, but it's an ultrasound picture. All right, and so, so here we are. We've just gotten this ultrasound, and, uh, and, and we, we, we now, you know, you kind of like talk to the ultrasound tech, and they're like, oh, you have a beautiful baby. Um, you know, the heart beats this. Can you hear it? All this kind of stuff. And then, then they send you to meet with the doctor. And we sit down in the doctor's office, and they, you know, they have taken, I guess, a few minutes to review the ultrasound and to meet with the tech beforehand. And we sit down, and, and she says this. She says, no. Don't freak out about this. And don't Google this on your way home. But I feel like I need to tell you something that I've seen in your ultrasound. Now, all of us know that when you sit down with a doctor, 
That is not the first thing that you want to hear, right? But she proceeds to kind of talk about how sometimes at this point in the pregnancy, they see this. And what it was, was she, she explained that Jackson had some nodules on his brain. And uh, she said, listen, here's what we're going to do. I want you to go, go home for the next four or six weeks. We'll set up the next appointment. And uh, hopefully, so we see this sometimes, hopefully they'll be gone on your next time in. We'll do another ultrasound and hopefully we'll, they'll be gone. And so as you can imagine, for any of those of you who are parents, for the next four to six weeks, we felt like this new sense of heat in our life, right? It was like one of those things that were, was constant on the back of our minds because, you know, contrary to, to what the doctor said, as soon as Heather sat down in the seat in the car, she, uh, you know, she Googled, what is this, you know, and, and so it talked about, you know, it could be symptomatic of, of autism or some kind of physical or mental handicap and, and all these kinds of things. And so, you know, you just, you think to yourself, what, can I handle this? Can we handle this? How are our lives going to have to change? And we just felt this new sense of heat. And by God's grace, somehow, kind of in the middle of that season, we were able to find this place of peace that really I can only kind of describe in the way we talked about today, is that we had this anticipation that God was going to show up in our situation, no matter what. He was going to show up. So no matter what happened, we knew that everything was going to be okay. And that's what this whole series has been about. That no matter what, we find our, what place we find ourselves in, every week, every day, Hopefully in our lives, every hour, we're worshiping and we're serving a God that shows up. We're worshiping and serving a God that we know actually knows what hurt is and loss is and confusion and betrayal. And that even as we're going through the midst of it, it's not that he doesn't care. It's not even that he doesn't exist. It's that in the very beginning, man chose to turn their back on God. And now the world is a messy place. It's a messy place. And God isn't absent in all of it. God isn't absent in your situation. He's working behind the scenes, and he's redeeming all the messes. God used that crazy, naked zombie guy to spread the gospel to ten towns and more. And that's an incredible testimony. And God wants to use your testimony, your story, in the same way. So when Heather and I were kind of in that four to six weeks of, of waiting, kind of wondering what, what the next thing was going to be when we, when we went back to the doctor, there was this song that uh, I think we, had, we were doing some in worship and stuff, and, and the words were just like, you know, you know, you have those moments where whatever season of life you're in, like this just this rings home, like it, it just speaks to you. And we had this song, and, and, uh, and so really I wanted to allow you guys to experience that same uh, touch and that same affirmation from God that I'm experience, that I experienced in that moment with this song. And let me read you the chorus of the words because we're going to end with this in just a minute. It says, Oh my God, He will not delay. He will not delay. My refuge and strength always. I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through always. I don't know if you're like me, but that means something. 
That gives me something to anticipate. That gives me hope. Let's bow our heads together. God, we know that there are people who are listening to the message today, Lord, who need some hope. They need something to look forward to. And God, I pray that they would, they would connect with this man who really probably was one of the most hopeless people that we would ever encounter. Someone entirely consumed by darkness. And God, someone who was feeling heat like we probably could never imagine. So Lord, I pray that today, Lord, that you would help the people who are listening to this message today, God, who are worshiping at a place of worship called Alive today, that they would sense that there's something about to happen in their life because Jesus is our hope. Because Jesus redeems our messes. And that Jesus wants to use our story to change the world. And God, that is what you do. And so, Lord, that is my prayer. That today, Lord, that every person who's felt the heat in their life, that they would claim the hope in the name of Jesus, and that they would go from this place, and they would carry the gospel of Jesus to ten towns. And God, that we would be part of transforming an entire community with the gospel and the hope of Jesus. In your holy name we pray. Amen.